Hearing Voices? I'm Hearing Voices. You're listening to Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. Well, this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson, we visit with one of our favorites. How are you this morning, Jim McFarland? If I was any better, I'd be illegal, Scott. How are you? I am well. I want to start... uh, Full disclosure, as we were setting this up, uh, you mentioned that you are in the middle of a very big project related to Black History Month. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, uh, I have been commissioned by the public radio station in Ypsilanti to do a series of 90-second vignettes throughout the month of February, uh, highlighting, in this case, people in southeastern Michigan, and specifically around the Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti area, who have made a major impact in black history. And I'm learning things I did not know, but it requires a, a tremendous amount of research. And um, I, I am blessed to have been on the radio and to know what it's like to uh, try to read someone else's script on the radio. So you're very conscious of which words you use and, and trying not to put big words together. And, and since I'm not doing the VOs or the voiceovers, I'm trying to write them for everybody. So it's, it's a challenge. And we're about, I think, of course, they didn't give me the assignment until like, you know, January 30th. Could use some time. But we're about 11 scripts out of 28 and working feverishly. So it's, it's, it's a fun project, but it's a bit of a challenge. When we think about Black History Month, and I don't know how long Black History Month has been, quote unquote, a thing, but I know certainly now it seems more a regular part of our rhythm. Is that your sense as well? Oh, I think so. I think very definitely so. I think that for many years it was just kind of, I don't say ignored, but in, in the general scope of things, when the, uh, the American media, from, you know, it was, it was there, but it wasn't really considered a thing. And now you have um, companies uh, promoting it. Uh, I don't use the word, I hate to use the word pandering, but they really are. Because, you know, we support Black History Month and come buy our products. Uh, that didn't happen years ago, you know. So uh, it has become, I think, a much more um, accepted thing than it has been before. And it's only been around, well, it's really been around since 1915. Um, but certainly it was not celebrated <laughs> back then as widely or enthusiastically as it is today. You and I are within a few years of each other age-wise. Was there a Black History Month when you were in school? There certainly wasn't when I was. Well, you have to understand, Scott, I grew up in a town, uh, Spring Lake, Michigan, where nature smiles for seven miles, uh, where I was the only child of color in the entire school system. So they were not exactly going out of their way to celebrate Black History on my account because, you know, it would have been me. I was Black History at that time so no we didn't talk about it we didn't mention it it was uh uh just another the shortest month in the year and didn't really mean the valentine's day and there's some other stuff but black history month no way you're listening to hearing voices with scott watson you can follow me on twitter at the scott j watson and mr mcfarland is an educational and an entertaining follow on twitter and you can follow him at the word grouch and of course you can listen to every one of these shows at whtc.com jim when you think about black Uh history month and we're going to talk about things other than that but i want to stay on this topic as well i've been impressed by some of the stuff that you've been tweeting out uh 
some of the stuff that we take for granted. So I'll just say, when I was in fourth grade, I did a a book report uh, for, I, maybe it was Black History Month, but on George Washington Carver. That was not mm-hmm. so much because I wanted to learn about a famous black person, but more because I loved peanut butter. Uh, and yet you could make the argument that without him, uh, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that I ate about three years ago might not have come to be. Uh, talk a little bit about some of those figures that maybe we take for granted that uh, certainly are a big deal. Well, certainly George Washington Carver was, you know, to be a black man in his era in, you know, the early uh, 20th century, late 19th century, and, and to be conceived, or perceived rather, as the one of the most uh, prominent American scientists of his generation, especially in the field of agriculture, is pretty amazing. Um, but, you know, the thing I enjoy about black history is that a lot of times you'll see people or talk about people that you already know in an entirely different light. For example, uh, I I tweeted about Rosa Parks the other day. Her birthday's in February, so she will always be um, uh, held high on Black History Month. But in her case, um, I was privileged to get to meet her in person. Uh, We both were in Detroit at the same time. That's where she retired and and eventually passed away. And we sat on a panel discussion years ago. And there are moments in your life, Scott, where you know history's being made for you. And um, I was introduced to her and, you know, trembling hand because I knew cause from my parents, certainly, who she was and what she stood for. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that she was assaulted in her home. And I think it was 94, 1994. And Mike Illich, the uh, Baron, the Little Caesars Baron, former owner of the Detroit Tigers and the Red Wings, uh, made her a point to pay her rent. He got her moved to a safer location and paid her rent every month until she passed away because he recognized that she was an icon not only from Detroit, for Detroit, but for uh, the black culture as a whole. And uh, the fact that anybody would break into her house and assault her was just beyond uh, comprehension and certainly could not be tolerated. So he made that move. And that's, that's a pretty amazing thing as far as I'm concerned. We wind up with Jim McFarlane this morning on Hearing Voices. We are taping this just ahead of the Grammy show on Sunday. Earlier this week, as part of the Grammys Person of the Year, uh, they honored Barry Gordy, they honored Smokey Robertson, uh, Robinson, and they honored one other. Uh, being a man from Detroit, you probably have a story or two about those fellas. I do indeed, actually. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that Smokey are buds. I would be going too far, but it's been my honor to interview him many times over the years. And what you see on stage is what you get in person. A, a gentler, kinder, nicer man you would be hard-pressed to meet. And, and it's interesting to me because, you know, you look at someone like him and... and for you, or for anybody who grew up in the 60s or 70s, that was a soundtrack of our times. I mean, uh, the music he wrote, not only for himself and the miracles, but for other people in the Motown chain and the system, uh, they're immortal. They will go on for forever. And you look at this guy, it's like, you want to say, you want to you lionize him, you want to celebrate him. He's like, hey, how you doing? He's just like a guy. And you want, <laughs> you, he, he's way more... Uh, in control than you are to meet him. You know, it's like, uh, but it's it's those eyes, Scott. Oh, those eyes are really beautiful. Um, but he's just uh, a great man, and, and I have had a chance to to talk to Barry occasionally when he's been in town. Um, 
Uh, we have never sat down for an in-depth interview. I worked for his wife, actually, for a small time, who was doing jewelry and wanted someone to work as her uh, PR person and marketing guy. So I actually worked for a, a Gordy person at one time in my career. But, um, yeah, it's, it, the, the highlight of my life, Scott, was to be blessed to be in Detroit as a rock critic for a major newspaper in the 70s. 80s and 90s. I mean, it was, you know, where where better to be than the home of Motown and the home of Seeger and Nugent and the Romantics and so much more. I mean, everything that happened in music had to pass through Detroit. And it was, you know, one of the highlights of my life. He is Jim McFarlane. We'll have more with him tomorrow. We'll talk about Memphis and we'll get a word. That's tomorrow morning on Hearing Voices. Hearing Voices? I'm Hearing Voices. You're listening to Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. This morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson, we continue our visit with one of my favorite guests. Jim McFarlane is the word grouch on Twitter. On Twitter, uh, Jim, I don't want to talk about this, but I can't talk with you and not go there as uncomfortable as it is. We've all seen the video from Memphis. Uh, I want to initially I, I kind of mindlessly just get your reaction to it and then a couple of quick questions. All right. First of all, Scott, good morning. Always good to talk to you. And in terms of what we've all seen and now know about the Memphis mulling, the, the absolute uh, embarrassment, uh, I am just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, we know, I think, that um, we live in one of the most violent countries in the world, and it manifests itself on an almost daily basis, on a hourly basis. I mean, it's like we go from one mass murder, one mass shooting, one to the next. And we've gotten so anesthetized to it, so insensitive to it, that it just kind of washes over us now. And think what made this particular instance so appalling was, you know, we like to say as people of color, well, as you know, it's the white people who are doing this. And then you see here on, on video from a bunch of people who are also African-Americans kicking and beating the life of a young man who had done nothing wrong except maybe speed a few miles over. I mean, from all accounts, he wasn't into drugs, he wasn't into crime, he was a FedEx driver who had a baby, he was just going home, he cried for his mother as he was being kicked to death. And how did we respond to that? You know, if, if, if Tyree's death meant that we would have some sort of moratorium where we would stop and refocus and not be so obsessed with violence and guns and, and, and our right to bear arms and that means we can shoot anybody we want because we have, no, no, we don't need that. That's not who we should be. And there's nothing I see on the horizon that's going to change anything in our basic DNA. And that's just appalling to me. It, it makes me cry. It also makes me wonder how long it will be before we just can't go out of the house anymore uh, without worrying about a hail of bullets before we get to our car. Jim McFarland joins me this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. This next question, if it is insensitive, I apologize ahead of time. It comes from the perspective of a middle-aged white man. You mentioned okay. the fact that the five police officers were black uh, mm -hmm. and not white. Does this mean... What what conclusions can we draw from that? And does this mean that it's a police problem as much, if not more, than a black or white problem? Hmm. Well, that's a good question, Scott. Um, 
and I know it's not insensitive, at least not to me. Um, black on black crime has been a thing forever. We don't talk about it maybe as much because we're more, you know, those of us who are of color and want to protest will say, look at what's being done to us without realizing that most criminals like to work within their neighborhoods, you know, because it's easier to get it out. So if you're in the hood and you're of a mind to commit a crime, you're more like, you're not going to, if you live in downtown Detroit, you're not going up to, to Birmingham or going up to West Bloomfield to commit your crime. You're going to commit your crime right in your neighborhood because that's where you live. Um, it's just more, it's more sensitive. It's more hurtful when you see it on video, when you see it, um, um, exposed like this and how do you tell your young black child who has seen this video that you should trust the police and believe in the police and if you have a problem go to the police and they will help you when they have this as the juxtaposition of what you're telling them to be true the truth of the matter scott is we have no protection anymore um we like to think that the criminal justice system will assist us we like to think that the police will come in time of need eh, it's not gonna happen you know, that's anything about that. That's not, I mean, we have a situation here where I'm living in central Illinois where two EMS drivers have been charged with murder because they, they picked the body up of a man who was suffering and flipped him over and put him on his face and he suffocated because they didn't know enough to turn him over and put him on his back. I mean, people just don't care anymore. And as long as that's the case, it's every man and woman for himself. And what that means is everybody who thinks that they need or have the right to have a, a high tech, a high power assault weapon so they can mow down dozens of people at once because they're all coming to get me. Uh, we don't have a defense for that. We don't have a, well, don't do that because here's the alternative. There is no alternative. And until we figure out what the problem is with the human heart, we're going to be in this situation for a very long time. One of the reasons that I love having Jim McFarlane on the radio is that we can talk about the deepest, darkest, most difficult segments of society, and we can also laugh and talk about music. Uh, there aren't a lot of guests that I'm able to do that with. He joins me this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. I love my listeners, and I would love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter at the Scott J. Watson and listen to every episode on your favorite audio platform and at whtc.com. Jim McFarland is available on Twitter at the word grouch. Jim, you are known for your words. Give us one that uh, perhaps we're not familiar with. Oh, I've got one for you, Scott. This was on my Twitter feed at WordGrouch just a few days ago, and I like it. It's, you ready for this? Runkissonant. Runkissonant. And it's spelled R-H-O-N-C-H-I-S-O-N-A-N-T. Runkissonant. It's an adjective, and it means making a snorting sound. Snoring. This is so weird, you know, because when my wife sleeps at night, that's just what her sound sounds like. But um, if you want to amaze your spouse, some morning you can say when he or she gets up, honey, your consonance has just bothered me the whole night. And while he or she struggles to figure out what you mean, you can go to work and just leave them scratching their heads. So, I mean, out. It is always good to visit with Jim McFarlane. He is, again, the word grouch on Twitter. And one of my favorite guests to have here on Hearing Voices. And there's a pretty good chance that we will have him back in very short order with an announcement oh, of sorts. So you can wait for that. Jim, <laughs> thanks for the visit this week on Hearing Voices. 
Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you, sir.